now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe, your host here every week, bringing you tips, education, and updates on home-related matters. Whether you're in the real estate market, or if you're looking for decorating or improvement ideas for your home, this is a great place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellers, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Beauvais. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. I'm your host here every week. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria since 1991. I've handled over 2,500 transactions in our fair city. I'm proud to be ranked as one of the top producing REMAX agents in Western Canada. I'd be pleased to help you as well, too, if you're looking for a second opinion or want to chat about the market or where you're at with your real estate acquisition uh, or your investment needs or anything feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to chat with you. You can find my contact information and the rest of the whole Home Show team members by visiting the cfax1070.com website. Look under shows. There you'll find us, the whole Home Show, with me, Tony Joe. We would love to hear from you. As a reminder, by the way, if you're a podcast listener, we do podcast all of our episodes on iTunes or Google Play. We have over four years worth of history here in over 200 episodes so much great content you may find something that will help you in your current need with your real estate right now it's all there again on itunes or google play now victoria remains a really expensive place for someone to buy a home you know i'm often asked how can anyone afford to buy a house here you know, I think about the first home that I sold in 19, March of 1991. It was $137,000. Even back then, that was a lot of money. But, you know, that home right now would be about $850,000. And when you think about people's incomes relative to what they're spending on their homes, it's a lot. It's a lot to buy, especially for a first-time home buyer. How do they get into the market? Well, that's what we're talking about today on our episode our guest this week is Ian Scott from Ian Scott Planning Services. Ian is an urban planner, a land use planner, a community planner, a sustainably a sustainability planner, and more. Yeah, you can you can hear I've used the word planner a lot because he plans. Uh, he is a consultant and he is an expert in suites. In-law suites. What is a suite? What is a legal suite? What is a not legal suite? And it's because suites, it's not, they're not really a hot topic today. They've been a hot topic for many, many years, but there are things to know about suites. And it goes back to what I just started talking about, which is the way that people are affording to buy properties here in Greater Victoria is to buy homes with a suite where they can derive some rental income and enables them to be a homeowner. So we're having a great conversation today with Ian Scott. We're going to learn all about in-law suites and maybe a little bit about uh, urban planning and municipal planning and a number of other things. We always start with a little conversation 
questions that people have had uh, recently, questions that people have posed of me. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about today, if time permits. Uh, the first one is, you know, when it's closing time, when you buy a home or you sell a home, uh, the a question that people often has is, how does the key transfer work? You know, if you're buying a home, how do I get the keys? Where do I pick it up? Who is the key master, basically? In certain jurisdictions, uh, even other provinces, it's common for the buyer to pick up the set of keys with the lawyer on signing of the documentation. Uh, that's not quite how we do it here in British Columbia or here in Victoria. Um, what is most common is the buyer's agent. So the agent that helped the buyer purchase the home is generally the person that will uh, have the keys either prepared for or received on the possession date. Now, Please know the possession date is different from the closing date. Closing date is when the money changes hands. That's when the title uh, uh, goes from one party to the next. Usually possession of a property occurs the next day. It's very common, for instance, when a closing happens, you know, again, that's the money day, happens, for instance, on a Friday, and possession date is 12 noon the next day. Uh, I know it seems kind of strange. Sometimes people say, well, I paid the money. I want the house. I want the house right away. Well, we also have to consider the fact that people are often moving. You know, it's really interesting. It happens so often and, and people have a hard time believing this. Uh, it happens a lot where the buyer's moving truck pulls into the driveway pretty well at the exact moment that the seller's moving truck is pulling out of the driveway. It's a really tight timeline. Well, anyways, getting back to it, the buyer's agent will have, like I said, arranged to get the keys. And the buyer's agent is the person who is the key master. Uh, and it's a joyous time. I love handing keys over to people when they take possession of their home because, you know, there's so much excitement. Yeah, I know it's a stressful time. I know the packing thing is not fun. I know that, you know, any sort of move, they, they always talk about the fact that a move is one of the, uh, the biggest moments in a person's life. And it is true. It doesn't matter if you've moved, you know, twice or 10 times, every time is a really uh, both exciting and stressful time. But again, giving somebody, handing them the keys uh, during that possession date is a very special time. And for many people, it's a moment that they will never forget. Uh, I remember, I remember getting the keys to my first home, my first place that I bought when I was very young. I have a lot of fond memories of that. Um, so that's what happens with keys. And again, people uh, often ask that question. The other thing I want to touch on uh, really quickly here uh, is uh, I've had a lot of questions recently about how to become a realtor. Uh, now, I know this firsthand because I am one of the instructors for the applied practice course for new real estate licensees, people that pass their exam. Uh, and I do that uh, because I work as an instructor for the Real Estate Council of British Columbia. That is the governing body, by the way, that issues real estate licenses. When you want to become a realtor, you take the exam, the dreaded exam that everyone talks about. It's a scary thing. And I, it was scary for me when I took it back in 1990. I, I have a lot of memories about that. You take the exam first. Not everyone, not everyone passes the first time, by the way. Often people need to rewrite it. Uh, but then you need to take a, a set of courses through the Real Estate Council of British Columbia. Uh, it starts with a two-week uh, online moderated 
uh, course. I happen to be doing one even right now as we speak uh, for a group of realtors. Um, after that two week period, there are two days in class uh, now. And of course, since the pandemic, this has often been done online, you know, by Zoom. Uh, we have classrooms of uh, 30, 40 students and uh, we instruct two full days on the topics, topics of agency and of disclosure, things like material latent defects, uh, stigmatized properties, uh, so many things. It's a really deep and involved course. Ask anyone who's taken it. It's really quite something. After that, there's four and a half months of supervised education by a managing broker where a licensee has to go through certain tasks in order to get their full license after one last day of uh, learning. So there's quite a bit. And it's not only that. As a, a licensee, we have to maintain a certain amount of education hours every two years. It's 18 educational hours. Plus, there's a lot of continuing education uh, courses that are available out there. Um, and any good agent is spending a lot of time, of course, uh, making sure they're keeping up to date with all of the current uh, items and concerns that consumers have about the real estate process so that we can best serve them. So that's what happens. That's how someone becomes licensed. You don't just go in and get a license. Uh, it's a more complicated process. And I'm very happy to say that uh, we are turning out, the Real Estate Council of British Columbia is turning out some really great uh, educational courses for licensees. Anyways, need to take our break right now. When we come back, we'll be talking about sweets with Ian Scott. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show and I'm Tony Joe. You know, when you drive around a town or a city, you wonder about how it came to be the way it is. You know, people often have their own opinions and critique about, you know, why are houses designed this way here? And why, you know, is there high density here? And why are things laid out the way they are? There are reasons. It's not like somebody just arbitrarily decides, I'm going to plunk a commercial building right here in this spot. There are people and consultants and experts that help developers determine highest and best use of property and dealing with municipalities to figure out the best course of action. Uh, I've had the privilege of sitting on a panel a number of times now at the Victoria Real Estate Board, specifically one uh, about suites, about in-law suites, about uh, uh, even touching on things like short-term vacation rentals and whatnot. And on the panel was myself as the real estate person and a prominent lawyer here in Victoria, but also our guest today, and it is Ian Scott, Ian Scott Planning Services. Uh, he is a, a consultant here. Uh, his background is he's an urban planner. He's a project manager with over 15 years of experience in sustainable community planning and design. Uh, he is a lead accredited professional. He worked exclusive, uh, extensively on the Dockside Green Project here in Victoria, just the other side of the Bay Street Bridge. Uh, he has supported multiple passive house projects and co-authored a report on the business case for passive house. He's got broad knowledge and expertise in project visioning, project strategy, site analysis and design, uh, development, financial analysis, neighborhood planning, so much stuff. Uh, thrilled to have you on uh, our show. Ian, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tony. I really appreciate being here today. 
Yeah. Now, of course, you and I have been talking about, uh, I've been wanting you to be on the show for some time because uh, we've done how many of those panels? We've done like three of those panels for the Real Estate Board, right? Yeah, we've done three. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I want to start off um, by by just letting uh, our listeners know, like I said, the panel that we talked on was about suites. And of course, a question is, what's a legal suite? How do you legalize a suite? Do you legalize a suite? All of the, these are the things that we want to cover today, right? And you're the guy uh, 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 to cover this topic. But tell us about yourself um, and, and what it is exactly that you do. Yeah, so I'm a professional planner accredited by the uh, Canadian Institute of Planners and the, and the BC uh, Planning Institute. Uh, so I have training in urban uh, planning and design, uh, community process, uh, legal issues related to uh, community and urban planning. So I have a background in geography and environmental studies uh, and a master's in urban and regional planning. Um, and, and really, it's a discipline that looks at how communities are, are shaped and built, um, and the and like you alluded to in your intro, uh, the history of, of design. Uh, what I do currently is is work largely with um, uh, both private developers, but then also nonprofit uh, housing uh, societies and 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 groups who are looking to build affordable housing in our communities. Uh, in my past work life, I also worked at some of the local municipalities as a a planner. So one of the people you'd call up to ask questions about what you can do with your property, how you get permits and, and permissions to, to either redevelop your property, add a suite, can I put a deck here, you know, down to the, some of the real nitty gritty of, uh, you know, of, uh, of property issues. And of course, that is somewhat complicated in Victoria, because with the 13 different municipalities, there would be 13 different planning departments and all that stuff. Every municipality has a different set of different uh, code and different set of rules, right? Yeah, and that's one of our sort of historical oddities. Um, and I don't think we're going to talk about amalgamation here today. <laughs> no. um, you know, uh, but certainly some people in the development industry might like that because there'd be one, you know, group to talk to. But yes, um, local governments, so whether that's the city of Victoria or the district of Saanich or the town of U Royal, um, Langford, etc., you know, have their own set of uh, rules related to uh, zoning and development. Um, there is a unified provincial building code, which they all then implement in their local jurisdiction, but each of those groups have slightly different rules when it comes to uh, development issues, um, and it comes down to even terminology being slightly different, um, but the each municipality is enabled by provincial statute to set up rules in a whole you know, variety of areas including uh, development of property through their zoning bylaws, parking regulations, tree protection bylaws, stormwater utilities. You know, there's a number of things that impact uh, how a city is, 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 you know, the land in, in a city is used. And, and that comes down to that local government uh, making those decisions. And I, that's all within the BC building code as well, too. Like you, like you just said, it, it, um, municipalities need to conform to the building code rules, right? Yeah, so very simply, the BC Building Code applies across the province, and each municipality then is um, allowed to enact a building bylaw that then enforces that code in their jurisdiction. Um, when it comes to zoning power, so the use of property, um, again, there's provincial legislation that says a municipality or local government can implement those uh, processes, and they then create bylaws to do so. 
So it's a little less prescriptive what a municipality has to do in a zoning context, but there are there's a box that they operate within. Yep. Uh, and then when it comes to building regulations, that's very much prescribed across the board, uh, the province. But then it does come down sometimes to just, you know, the building inspector and how they interpret those rules working, you know, with a particular situation. Um, and then part of the BC building code is enacted by um, uh, professionals, you know, like engineers and, and others who have responsibility to take professional um, ownership effectively, a professional sign off of uh, certain aspects. So quite a common one that a homeowner might, you know, bump into is a structural engineer uh, where they're required to sign off a schedule saying they've, you know, authorized and, and, and confirmed that this design, you know, is, is adequate, meets the code and meets their professional standards. And of course, I mean, an extreme example of, of how that comes into play is what's happening down in Florida with the, with the condo collapse. Yeah. You know, of, of course, there would have been a structural engineer and other engineers involved in that building. And there'll be, I'm sure, many court cases related to whether they did their jobs properly, whether the municipality oversaw that process properly. Um, you know, but that's what it comes down to is the structural engineer signing off on on appropriately on how the building is built and that it's going to function like it's supposed to. Yeah. Well, and, and again, this is one of those things people often, uh, they homeowners or people who are looking at, for instance, buying a home, they, they often think, well, why can't I just do this? Why can't I just put this deck here? Or why can't I just put this suite here? Uh, it's not that easy. And, you know, as you just talked about, it's, it's working within this box of rules and regulations. Um, and they're there for a reason, right? Yeah, well, so one of the things as a planner that, you know, as part of my professional code of conduct, you know, we're focused on, uh, on, a, on working towards the public interest. Um, and so when you look at a local government, that is their focus as well, is, is, is the public interest. So whether that's, you know, safety, security, environment, uh, you know, they're looking for the betterment of their, um, you know, their citizens, the people who live in their, in their community, um, their, the economy, whether they're safe, getting back and forth to work, um, and, and then environmental issues. Um, and so when it comes to the building world, um, you know, in, uh, in, you know, as, as history has progressed, we've become more sophisticated around uh, making sure buildings are, are going to function for their intended purpose. One of the key aspects being, you know, fire safety, you know, so the city of Victoria provides fire service. Well, so they then have an interest not only in protecting their employees, but having buildings that, you know, are going, the occupants can get out of safely if there is a fire. Um, and, you know, then that extends then into issues like earthquakes and flooding and, you know, and other things. And so as, as uh, you know, uh, um, as time has grown, I would say the suite of issues that they sort of wrong term because we're not, not the suite, <laughs> but, but the, the package of issues, issues yeah. the package of issues has certainly expanded, you know, and, and one of the more recent ones that that's really important, you know, is issues related to energy efficiency mm -hmm. um, and and buildings not consuming as much energy as they used to in the past so that we can tackle climate change. You know, so that's an example how things have, have changed and evolved. Um, and so, yes, some of it relates to safety. Some of it relates to energy efficiency. Some of it relates to structural integrity. Yeah. Um, but those rules have been put in place based on the science, the, you know, based on building science, you know, to protect the occupants, but then also protect, you know, those people are coming into the building to save someone if, uh, if that, you know, if that issue arises.
So important. And there's a little bit of design that's involved in there. But we'll get back to that in just a moment. we got to take our first break uh, for the day here. We're talking with Ian Scott. He is a consultant with Ian Scott Planning Services. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellers, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Beauvais. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. As a reminder, you can find their contact information by visiting cfax1070.com. Look under shows and there you'll find us, the whole home show with me, Tony Joe. And if you are a podcast listener, you can catch all of our four years worth of episodes on iTunes or Google Play. Just look for the whole home show with Tony Joe. We're talking today about um, planning and building. uh, We're talking with our consultant, uh, Ian Scott. Uh, about all the things people wonder about when it comes to why homes and developments and subdivisions are the way they are. Uh, Ian, again, thank you for uh, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's been so, great so far. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's so much stuff to talk about, but I want to get right into sort of why we're here together today. And that's talking about suites, right? We are in a marketplace here. Where, Victoria's expensive. It's the third most uh, expensive real estate in Canada. A lot of homeowners need the income of a suite in order to either afford to buy a house or to maintain and manage it. And this is one of the things that comes up regularly is what, you know, let's start with what is a suite? What is a, what's the definition of a suite? And because there's a suite and then there's a legal suite, right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So, um, in in BC, um, the building code um, defines a secondary suite now as a basically a rental unit in a uh, in another home, um, and so it's as simple as that. And it's and it, it, you know if you look at the dec- dictionary definition of a suite, you know it's a place where you can sleep, you can eat, um, and you have sanitary facilities. You can go to the bathroom, take a shower, you know, so all the basic necessities of you know of, of living. Um, so it's a uh, and and really it's intended entirely for a separate household. So you have your own entrance and you have all the all your needs, you know, self-contained uh, for yourself. So that's a that's a suite. Um, the BC Building Code really focuses on being rental only. So it's it's a second dwelling unit within a larger real estate entity. So most commonly, you know, that would be in a single-family home. You know, you have a maybe a basement suite or a you know a suite just off to one side of the house, you know, connected to the house. So that would be a you know a secondary suite. We also now have um, accessory suites or suites that are not in the main dwelling. So that's not a secondary suite under the building code. That's actually a separate building, a separate dwelling unit. Um, and in the city of Victoria, District of Spanish, they call them garden suites. But it's a small building, usually you know four, six hundred, eight hundred square feet. Uh, where again, households can can live totally separately. Um, and and, and again, common, those... commonly, that's like in the back in the backyard. Like it's it's not it's detached, separate from the house. Could be a sort of real lane or something. Like a little house on the property, right? 
Exactly. And in some places you can have it over, like over a detached garage. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, above, you know, the parking area in a detached garage, but yeah. So it's, it, you know, if you didn't know someone was living there, you just went by, you might think, Oh, there's a, you know, a, kind of a larger shed or, or that's an interesting looking garage. That's mm -hmm. your, that, uh, that detached suite. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now um, there are suites that are legal. And there are ones that are not legal. So what's the difference between those two? So a suite that has been legalized would be a suite that was um, built according to the zoning um, that is in place at the time it was built so that there's actual zoning permission to have a second dwelling unit there. Um, and where the construction was done um, with building permits. So you went to the municipality, you submitted your building permits, and you built that suite and had it signed off and, and uh, you know, occupancy permit granted. Um, so it was done through official permission. So that would be a legal suite. Yeah, and basically um, and the municipality knows it's there. Exactly. And it's on their, you know, it's in their records that if you call them up, you know, whether you're a neighbor or whether you're a real estate agent, you call them up and say, what's the allowed use on this property? You know, oh, it's a single family home with a secondary suite, um, you know, because they know about it. Um, so anything that's an uh, illegal suite, so it's not been authorized, some people say an unauthorized suite or maybe an in-law suite, you know, would be a suite that was built um, without that official permission from the municipality. Um, and that might have occurred in two ways. One is um, there was actually no zoning allowance for it. So you couldn't even get a building permit, even if you asked for it. Or the second way would be that someone just didn't bother to go and get the building permit um, uh, to build the suite, even though they could have. They chose not to. I think it's important for, especially for those people who are relatively new to Victoria, say in the last 10 years, it's important to know that actually the legalization of suites is a somewhat recent thing because I remember when I started out in real estate 30 years ago, nothing was legal, right? Right. And the municipalities have changed over the years, right? Yeah, I think it was about the early. Um, sort of mid 80s to early 90s that some of the first legal suites were allowed uh, but, you know that's roughly the time period and as time has gone on um, it increasingly more areas of all of our municipalities can you have legal suites and some municipalities like the district of Oak Bay you still cannot have a legal suite but they've been working for a number of years on getting to that to that point you know so if you're going now in the city of you know in, in Oak Bay to buy a home and it has a suite you know, it's, it's not allowed by zoning, so it's going to be illegal in almost all circumstances. There may be an unusual circumstance where they've given a, you know, a specific property that, that you know, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, but that's just an example how over time the rules have liberalized. You know, when I take a step back, I think it's interesting how that kind of the people of the, of the, of the region have pushed government to kind of catch up, you know, by the fact that there were suites and there was a need, you know, that was serving you know, people in the community who needed places to live and, and, and people did it despite the permission not being there and, and government has kind of had to catch up. Um, historically, we had lots of suites in, uh, in, in Victoria, you know, even the turn of the century, uh, often it was more for like the hired help. Um, you know, uh, people with large properties would have, have multiple people working for them and provide them accommodation. Um, more time, we kind of focused a little bit more on individual homes and then post-war started to get it realized, you know, there's still those people who need rental accommodation and a suite in a home is, is one way to provide that. 
in Langford, I, I seem to recall, was very progressive because they had the, they were doing developments where all of the houses had suites and they were legal and they were able to uh, um, have additional taxes that homeowners paid, uh, which was a good thing for the municipality. So they were very, uh, very progressive in, in that respect. All of this to address the fact that there's a housing shortage. The, the reality is there's housing shortage in Greater Victoria, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the you know uh, year after year, the stats show that you know we're just undersupplied with sufficient um, housing. You know, I would say largely rental housing, um, but the prices of homes might suggest we're also undersupplied with um, you know homes for people to purchase. Um, you know, that, that's a bigger discussion that would take us more than the next <laughs> 10, 15 minutes to have. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're talking today with Ian Scott. Ian Scott is a uh, consultant. We're talking about uh, suites and uh, legal suites, in-law suites. Uh, you, on the presentation that we were on together, you, you sort of, there was a guesstimate of how many suites out there are, are the percentage of legal to not legal. Yeah, it, there isn't very good stats out there. The guess, um, yeah. Yeah, I think kind of in the 15 to 20% range um, it, it seemed to be sort of, you know, what the agents who were part of the, you know, our, our panel uh, thought somewhere in that range, you know, yeah. maybe it's 30, maybe it's 10. Um, it's really hard to know because, of course, if it's, if it's unauthorized, it's not reported. Um, yeah. It's sort of hard to get a handle on governments in different ways through hydro billing or BC assessment. You know, BC assessment might know you have a suite. Um, and and reflect that on your taxes, even if um, you know, even if it's if there's a perm, if there's not a permit at the at city hall, um, you know, sometimes you can see it in hydro um, stats. Uh, although a lot of that information, you know, is is somewhat private, so it's not necessarily you know easily you know accessible. Uh, right. But yeah, I think it's 20, 30 percent. I, I think the percentage is growing over time because a lot of new homes do have suites in them and are being built with permits. Um, so I think as time goes on, we'll get a larger and larger percentage of our uh, suite inventory that is legalized. Perfect. Well, listen, we need to take our last break for the day. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, suites, legal, not legal. And we've got some frequently asked questions that people will ask. We're going to be talking again with Ian Scott. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking about suites and the sweet life, as we called it, at the Victoria Real Estate Board. Uh, we're here with Ian Scott. Ian Scott is a uh, consultant uh, with Ian Scott Planning Services. Thanks again for joining us, Ian. Thank you for having me, Tony. Yeah, and, and uh, you just reminded me during the break, it's not just Oak Bay uh, that doesn't allow suites. No, also Highlands, um, yeah. and yeah. they were kind of in the same status as, as Oak Bay. They're having conversations about legalizing suites, um, but they're currently not allowed in, in Highlands either. Got it, got it. Okay, so um, uh, again, somebody either has a suite or is looking at buying a house with a suite. We know the difference between legal and not legal. We established before the break that the, vast, that the majority of, of houses and suites out there are not legal. Um, why don't people just legalize their existing suites? I think largely it's um, uh, because they're worried about uh, the cost of, of doing so. You know, um, uh, if you to legalize a suite, you'll need to upgrade it to the current building code standards. So more than likely 
that suite space wasn't built to standards that would be in play today, whether that's the amount of drywall, plumbing runs, you know, there's a number of issues. Um, and so I think people are worried about, you know, the, the cost of that. Low, low height ceilings, for instance. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, windows that are openable and big enough for people to escape from a bedroom, the right kind of fire alarms, uh, interconnected heat systems, uh, laundry rooms that ha- are their own separate fire compartments, self-closing doors on laundry rooms. You know, th- th- there's a good, you know, 15, 20 issues that are kind of the key ones. Um, and, and, and so I think it's, you know, it's, it's that. I also think there's just a bit of inertia in that, you know, you can still get insurance. You can still sell and buy a home with a suite that's not authorized. So you can still get a mortgage. Um, yeah. You know, and so it. You know, what what are the, you know, what are the benefits of you know legalizing your suite? You know, in that, I do think there's maybe a slight price premium on homes that have legal suites versus unauthorized suites, and certainly there's a peace of mind uh, with having a legal suite that's been inspected, um, and. Um, you know, largely municipalities are not going after people with unauthorized suites, you know, because of the housing crisis and because of the need it's serving in the community. Um, you know, but if there are issues, you know, and the neighbor is starting to complain, uh, you know, about your suite, it, it could be that you, you know, would have that suite through bylaw enforcement um, shut down if you can't find a way to kind of bring it up to code easily. Um, and, uh, you know, that can then be loss of income, which can be, you know, important. So, um, yeah, especially you know, so if you need that really- income to afford the house, right? Especially if you need that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if it means, you know, 30, 40,000 in, in major repairs to bring it up to code, you know, that and the, the number of months it's going to take to do that, um, you know, there, there's there's a risk people are taking to have suites that aren't, you know, that aren't authorized. Okay. Actually, could we address just for a moment here, from, you know, from your background um, in municipal uh, planning, um, you know, talking about a neighbor complaining, um, what typically would a municipality hear about in terms of complaints? Like how can a suite get shut down, I guess, is the question. Well, um, the, uh, how it might get shut down. And I think it was maybe more common, you know, a decade ago or so than it, yeah. than it is now, just because there's such, um, you know, a decade or so ago in many places, you might not be allowed a suite by zoning. And so then you'd have to go through a rezoning process, which is much more complicated than just a building permit. So now if a complaint came in and, and, and the complaint was you know, strong enough that the municipality decided it needed to take some action, it's going to be easier than it used to be to, to, to get permission, which is just to go through the building you know, process. Yeah. Um, uh, but in all bylaw enforcement, um, whatever the issue, usually the first step is informing you know, the citizen of, of, you know, of what the issue is. We've had this issue, you know, we need to do an inspection, we need to understand that this is truly you know, what is going on on your property. So some information gathering from the city and then and then they would lay out your options to, to legalize, um, you know, that suite and, and whatever steps you might need to take. And then they would, you know, look for you to take those steps. Um, ultimately, with if somebody refuses to take those steps, then they have other tools at their disposal, whether it's daily fines or uh, court action to try to you know force that. But definitely all municipalities and when it comes to bylaw enforcement, their first step is wanting to work with you to bring you into compliance. Um, and, and obviously if you're in a situation where it's really difficult to, that's you know, when it can be, you know, be more difficult. But at least it's possible now. And that brings us back to what we talked about before, you know, 30 years ago, it wasn't even an option, right? Um, 
But, but, you know, I had asked the question before about uh, legalizing a suite. I think it's important for people to know it's not just a rubber stamp. It's not just a matter of going to the municipality and filling out a form and saying, hey, can I have this legal all of a sudden? There's that entire process that, that you had just addressed, right? Yeah, it's, it's really a building permit. You need to, uh, you need to file a building permit um, and then work with the municipality to, to prove that the building upgrades meet code. Um, and, um, you know, so it's a building permit process to get a, you know, basically a, you know, a change of use on your property. You're changing it from single family home to single family home with suite. Um, even if, even if it's been built hundred percent, right. Um, you know, you, you need to find a way to make the building inspector comfortable that that's the case. Um, so whether that's with photos from during construction or you poke a few holes in the wall to show, you know, the right kind of uh works you know there's, there's going to be a process you know uh, to undertake um in my experience you know building officials you know they're going to find a way to work with you um of course it is individual and municipality dependent so it's hard to be you know a blanket across everything but uh you know they have the same interest as as i think a homeowner which is to have the suite legalized properly um and it to be still serving that rental need in the community yeah Something people often wonder about too is, you know, you've got that, you've got your tenant in your suite, which is not legal. Can the tenant cause problems? Like, can the tenant call up in the municipality and say, oh, you know, my, my, I'm living in this illegal suite, come shut it down. Um, and the municipalities actually don't respond to residential tenancy uh, um, office uh, uh, struggles, right? No, that's a totally separate issue. Um, I would find it strange that, you know, tenant would want to shut down a you know uh, <laughs> yeah they have no place to live yes yeah because they might not have you know because some of the repairs might mean that they have to you know uh, move out certainly the residential tenancy act is designed to protect tenants and designed to make tenants and homeowners work together to find you know solutions and and you know the the ideal solution is one where you know the tenants you know gets to keep their place after the repairs are done and the homeowner and the tenant, you know, work to, you know, to make that work. Um, you know, I'm not a residential tenancy act expert, you know, so I don't want to speak, you know, too in detail about that here. Uh, a call to the residential tenancy branch, you know, can give both homeowners and renters, you know, idea of the rules, the act is online. Um, uh, but I think philosophically, what it's designed to do is protect renters from having, uh, you know, landlords, you know, um, unnecessarily um, push somebody out onto the street and then raise rents and rent it yeah. to somebody else. Um, you know, it's designed to keep people in their homes because that if someone's renting a suite, it's their home um, and it's designed to keep them there um, and except for in certain circumstances. And so in the case of a uh, bylaw enforcement, that's going to be mine. Everyone will be mindful of that. How, how can we have a win-win here that the tenant gets to stay, the homeowner gets their suite legalized, um, sometimes you run into obstacles you can't get over, but I, I think that's the, the general philosophy that's out there. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Ian Scott with Ian Scott Planning Services, uh, talking about uh, development, uh, planning, community, all that kind of stuff, specifically talking about suites right now. Uh, as a reminder to our listeners here, one of the things when people when someone is buying a home, there's a form called the property disclosure statement, and you might recognize it. It's a checklist. It asks questions to the best of the owner's knowledge 
uh, about if there's any structural issues with the property, if there's any moisture problems in the basement or crawl space, uh, any underground oil storage tanks and whatnot. One of the questions that's on that disclosure statement is, does the property contain unauthorized accommodation? And this is what we're talking about right now with Ian. You know, there's legal suites. There's not legal suites. We've already identified the fact that most of the suites out there are not legal. And as a seller, it's really important if you're selling your home and your suite is not legal, you don't have those approvals within municipality as Ian just talked about, you have to check off the box that says, yes, the property contains unauthorized accommodation. At the very least, because you want to make sure as a seller that your buyer is not buying your home under the pretense that the suite is legal and then finds out afterwards for whatever reason it's not. It's a really complicated uh, uh complicated situation, right, Ian? I mean, there's so many things to consider with this whole legalization uh, uh, process and, and permits and all that stuff. Yeah, in a certain way, it's it's complicated. I mean, there are a suite of building issues, but the process is pretty simple when it comes to, you know, applying for a, a building permit. Yeah. Most homeowners are going to want to engage a building professional, you know, a, a contractor to help them through that process, um, you know, to get the right documentation in, into the city. Um, you know, but it's to me, I, I think it's kind of simple. One, anyone can call a municipality uh, to find out if a suite has been authorized or not, um, and you know whether you're a buyer or a seller. Um, and you know, and then it's uh, hiring the right professional to help you figure out the issues you're going to have to work through to get that new building permit to, to authorize the suite. You know, one thing we talked about at our, you know, uh, on the panel we were on is that the BC Building Code now allows for. Um, secondary suite in duplexes or in row houses, so townhouses yeah. that are, you know, separated by a firewall. But as of yet, not a single municipality in the region has taken that up as uh, as an appropriate issue. Um, and and I think you and I both know that many duplexes already have suites in them. Yeah. So even though the building code says they're allowed to be there by building code issues, you can't actually get them legalized because the zoning's not in place. Um, and, and in a time of housing crisis, why aren't municipalities sort of more quickly moving to uh, authorize secondary suites in, in a bigger, you know, in more on, on more properties than in, in duplexes and, and row houses? Um, you know, that would, I think, help as well when it comes to, you know, providing that needed rental accommodation. And, you know, I just wanted to clarify. We talked about all the municipalities except for two allowing secondary suites. That doesn't mean every single property, you know, in in every municipality is allowed suites. It depends on its size and its zoning. You know, so a good example is small lot homes in the city of Victoria don't allow for secondary suites in them. Certain areas of Saanich, you can't have secondary suites. In other municipalities, the lot has to be a certain size before you can have a secondary suite. So it is important. You do need to drill down into the details. And again, a, a quick call to your local municipality can explain whether this or that property is allowed a secondary suite or not. Fantastic. Well, uh, believe it or not, that's our time for the day. Uh, Ian Scott uh, with uh, Ian Scott Planning Services. Thanks for joining us today and giving us an overview about suites and planning and all that kind of stuff. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And to the rest of our listeners, we'll be here for you this time next week.